If you've got your Bible with you, keep it open at 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 to 11. We're going to be looking there this week and thinking about um, what it means for you and I as Christians to live the life of God's love, to express God's love. You know what? Believers in Jesus is our, our Lord and Savior. We're lovers of the one true God. We have a deep love for God. That is Yahweh, if you want. And our love for God serves as this directive for the love that we experience in any other relationship. It's like the, the foundation to all relationships we have. And God made the importance of such love extremely clear back in, in what we call the Pentateuch, the writings of Moses, or the law, if you want, with his word in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. He's speaking here to the, the nation of Israel, and he tells us his chosen people, um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, as believers today, this is what we're called to practice as well. This is how we are to live our lives if we want to live lives that really please and honor God. So Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, he expresses the qualities of the love that God wants to see expressed in you and I as believers. He tells us that this God-driven love is patient, it's kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast of itself, it's, it's not arrogant in any, in any way, it's never rude. It doesn't think uh, only about itself. It's not irritable. It chooses not to remember the wrongs of others, even when they have obviously wronged the one who practices such love, being perhaps yourself at some point in time. And so Paul continues with his revelation of this love by claiming that love itself is it's even greater than faith and hope. Now, we put faith and hope right up there. We say they're so important, but he says love is even greater than that. So it's incredibly um, necessary that we express this particular love. And here in, our here in our text, John wants to show us how the living of a life of love for the glory of God offers evidence. It gives evidence that you and I actually belong to Jesus, that we're actually converted. We belong to him. So verse 7 reads like this. Brothers, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the, the word which you heard from the beginning, he repeats. So he's emphasizing this old commandment. He writes, this is not a new commandment, as he wants to emphasize to his readers, that this is, in fact, an old commandment that whether Jewish or Gentile, they would have known about this commandment. They would have known about this form of love, if you want. And John exhorts these believers and all believers to express this agape love, which is the love that is sacrificial and expects nothing in return. Um, with the suggesting that they would have had historical knowledge of such love. And previously in the Pentateuch, God had told his chosen people, Israel, to, to love their neighbor as themselves in Leviticus chapter, um, chapter 19. So make sure, telling these people, you've got to love your neighbor just as you love yourself. That's a pretty big call. Now, I suspect this. Today, we don't live in an Old Testament lifestyle. I don't think so. So we might think to ourselves, I don't have to live loving my neighbor like myself. I'm not called to do that. There's a lot of intricacies around that, a lot of challenges. But Paul, in writing to the believers meeting in the city of Rome, spoke these words in Romans chapter 13, uh, verse 8 to 10. Here's what Paul writes. Do not owe anything, do not owe anyone anything except to love one another. You're speaking to the believers. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. That's how important this love is. The commandments do not commit adultery. Do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and any other commandment are summed up, says Paul, by this commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law, says Paul. 
So it's incredibly important that we do express this love. So how you express love to those around you, again, serves as an evidence of your love for God. If they see love in your life to them, then they, they respect there's a love to God somewhere in there. And such love will include, no doubt will include your emotions. And as you see others and meet other people having needs in life, your love for God will motivate you to, to help them in some way, in some suitable, practical way. You'll want to reach out and say, I can do something for you here. And this love, as referred to by John, is the love that exudes from those of us who are redeemed by Christ and whom he has chosen from before the foundation of the world to be his witnesses here on earth, known as the church. He said, you're going to be living in this time. You're going to belong to me and you're going to express my love to the world around you. So here are some of the characteristics that we can expect to see um, expressed amongst the believers called the church. And, and love we learn. We learn in love if you want. We learn about God. We, we come together and we have this loving relationship and we learn in that way. We, we love in obedience. We obey uh, the word of God. We encourage each other to do that in a form of loving God and loving each other. We have um, appropriate speech. We speak honorably. We speak suitably. We speak decently within society. And that's an expression of our love for God. We, we worship him. We, we follow the one true God together. We do that in a collective manner, and so and individually as well. So we're saying, I love God, or we love God, and we're expressing our love for him this way. We have um, a love of evangelism. We want to tell others about his gospel, about the need for them to come into this relationship like we have with the one true God. We have merciful love. That is, we have concern for other people. We want to express mercy to them as God has expressed mercy to us. We have love of prayer. We love to pray together. We love to talk to God individually. We go into our prayer closet. We bring our petitions to him. We're confident that he hears if he wants to answer. So we have this love of prayer. We love to give. We want to give to the church. We want to give to ministries. We want to give to ways in which God is glorified and honored by the expressing of his gospel and seeing people come to him and having the church go. So we, we give to that. And then we have a, a, a love of humility. We're prepared and want to be humble in our life status before our fellow man. Now, having brought John's emphasis to ourselves, the church, we need to then appreciate that if, as John has stated, both the Jews and Gentiles were aware of this love and its necessity in life, even if they were to express such love, it would never be enough to give them assurance of their actually being right with God, because it's something that literally any person can do. You see, this assurance can only come about through a knowledgeable conversion to Jesus Christ from the acceptance and from the practice and from the living of one lifestyle to the complete embracing and public declaration or public living of another lifestyle. And this new lifestyle would express the character of Jesus Christ himself. So as believers, we're living out Christ as if he was right here among us on this earth currently. So John writes, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old command that you have had from the beginning. Now with this phrase from the beginning, and I think this is interesting, he is referring to the beginning of their Christian life, their beginning of their coming to Christ, their Christian experience. John uses the Greek word, the Greek term arche, which Luke also uses um, a form of when he writes in, in uh, chapter 323 of his gospel of Jesus beginning his ministry at the age of 30 years old. So he's using the same term that John uses here. So we get this understanding that John is advising all believers that your life has changed and began at salvation. You're not the person you once were. You're becoming a new person. You're, you're redeemed. You're changed. 
You're changing in that sense. This means that your moment of conversion to Christ and salvation is absolutely critical as to who you really are. You see, before coming to Christ, you were functioning like a, a dead person living on earth. And Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, chapter 2, verse 4, and it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, listen to this phrase, made us alive with Christ. And Paul uses the same root phrase that John used when referring to the resurrection of Jesus here. They were coming to life from the dead of Jesus. He says he's been brought to life. He was dead, now he's brought to life. And John's emphasizing that same thought. John is saying, in essence, in salvation, you, you and I have been brought to life with Christ. We were dead, but through salvation, we've been brought into life with Christ. So that means that you're, you're incredibly different from the world that you live in, the world around you, if you want. Once you lived and loved under the influence of the old command that, that, you, that you heard, but now you've been given a new command. You've been given a, a new beginning, if you want, which causes you to live differently as you follow the directive of God for your life. So you live and love in the light of his will, if you want to live like that. That's what we're really saying. You live uh, and love in the light of God's plan, the light of God's directive, the light of God's will for all those who are redeemed by him. Listen as to how Jesus, what Jesus tells his disciples and you and I, um, what that's going to mean for our lives, why this is going to transform our lives. Here's what he writes in Matthew 16, verses 24 to 27. Speaking to his disciples, Jesus said, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up a cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whatever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world, says Jesus, and loses his own soul? Or, or what will the man give in exchange for his soul? Is there anything enough to do that he's emphasizing? And then verse 27, for the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will re reward each according to his works. So he's going to give you and I the reward that we deserve by how we have lived and expressed his love. In Acts 5.29, Peter said it like this, we must obey God rather than man, rather than people. So follow God's truth in his word. That's the, the emphasis we've got to do. Uh, the words of Paul then in Romans 6.17 can be helpful. Uh, but God, we thank that Though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart. You responded from the heart, that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. You were brought into. So there's a response from your heart, from the inner being, from the understandable mind that you have, saying, I need Christ and I want to live for him. I understand what that means for my life. In 1 Peter 1.14, um, <clears throat> the apostle advises the believer to, to live obediently and do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, the old way of life that's dead, that's gone. That old man, that pre-salvation lifestyle is dead. Don't don't be don't be conformed any longer to that. That's not what the believer li lives like or lives within. So the point that John emphasizes is very simple. Having been redeemed by Christ, then we're called to live according to his teachings. And one aspect, probably the main aspect, if you want, of his teachings is to to love according to his new command. We've got to express this love, God's love. And so he writes in verse 8 to of our text. On the other hand, I'm, I'm writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Now, with the use of the term new here, Jesus is literally suggesting an extension of the original commandment. It's kind of like whenever you take an old car, an old Kingswood or something like that, and you do it all up to make it a bit of a, a modern classic. You put all the bells and whistles 
on it and that it didn't want to have. But no matter what you do to it, the essence of it, the core of it still remains the same. But it now runs smoother, it, it goes farther, it breaks better, but holds all the aura of the original Kingswood. Hopefully it helps you get the essence of what I'm trying to say. So just as the Old Testament made it abundantly clear that those who follow God are to express love for the world around them and for one another, never before, never before had such love been expressed as it had been through the person of Jesus Christ. That had never, ever happened. And this is why John uses the phrase about the new commandment being true in him. So John writes of such a, a love in uh, John 15, verse 13, with the words in his gospel. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. That's the greatest expression of love, of course, that was emphasized by Jesus himself. We know that Christ is God in the flesh, and that God has never changed in his attributes and character, so we can be confident that his expression of love to us is perfected. It's completed, if you want, in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how God completes his expression of love, or has completed it, and that is passed on in Jesus to you and I. So we read in John 1, 14 and 15, and the word became flesh, that's God became flesh, he became, became Christ and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. In other words, he was God, he was always there from the foundation of the world. And then in Colossians 2, verse 9, Paul writes, For in him, for in Jesus, if you want, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you, believer, you're completing him who is the head of all principality and power. So you're completing him. That means his love, this form of love, is full and complete in your being, and you can express it for his glory. Now, Jesus went on to show all of his true followers throughout history as to what such an expression of love should look like. In John, John chapter 13, we see Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. This is one of the greatest acts of humility ever expressed. He was sharing that this is what it means to be a humble follower of me. This is what it means to be Christ-like. This is what it means to express my love. So we're called to express his love to the world around us. And this practice in our lives serves as evidence of our having been redeemed into becoming a new creation in Jesus Christ. And then John declares that the practice of this new commandment, which expresses true love with it, with it uh, being from Christ, can and will happen because the darkness is passing away and the true light being Jesus, being the gospel, being his message, being his character, is already shining. You see, the true light is Jesus Christ himself. And as those redeemed by Jesus, we're promised to be citizens of his eternal kingdom, which already exists and is in direct contrast to the, the darkness of Satan's kingdom, which is all around us. So he calls us to live in the confidence of his kingdom. Are you living confidently in that manner? The writer of the Hebrews speaks of it in uh, chapter 12, verses 28 and 29, using these words. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, our kingdom secure, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. That's how we're called to do this. He says, for our God is a consuming fire. Our God will overcome all these things. So we're called to live his love out in the, in the midst of those things. And with our being in God's kingdom, we are prepared in Christ to let the true light shine through us to expose the darkness of Satan's kingdom. We're saying, here's light. And then the people see this is darkness. We're caught in darkness. 
because we're expressing light. And we do this by living from the word of God, from the Bible. So I want to encourage you, don't, don't live by your emotions. Don't live by your feelings. Live by the word of God, the Bible. That's one thing you've got to remember to do as a believer. If this true light is not shining through us, then John suggests that's because our eyes have been blinded in the darkness of this world. So we're, we're blinded by the, the lights of the, the darkness that all comes from this world. We're confused by that and we're taken by that. I belong to another kingdom, that's Satan's kingdom. And because of that, John writes these words in verses 9 to 11 of our text. <clears throat> he says, who, He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there's no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now, John gets down to the nitty-gritty here, if you want, of true Christianity. What it means to be a, a, a true, genuine believer, someone who's been redeemed by the Lord Jesus and is wanting to express this love and live in the light of this love. He's making the point that true, genuine, real, supernatural Christianity or Christian love belongs only to those who truly know Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. Contextually, this was a, a very challenging practice in the day of uh, his writing. You see, most of those true followers, the true followers of Jesus at the, this time of writing, were most probably slaves or, or belonging to the lesser escalons of society, the unimportant people in society, the, the, the non-people almost of society. And so Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 126 to 29. And this helps get our, uh, give us a picture of understanding here. You'll be familiar with the text. When you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. They're, they're the lesser called, if you want. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh can glory in his presence. These are the people whom God has chosen to enlighten with his truth. These are the ones whom he has called to express his love to a world that doesn't even think they need God's love. That's you and I, potentially. And so practically, John writes to such people who are probably being mistreated at this time by their masters, perhaps by the, the whole of society. They're feeling neglect or on the outer in which they've been placed. And he says to them, even with that, even with this horrible lifestyle that you're experiencing, if you hate your brother, you're false. Now, here's the problem for us. This is God saying this to his servant, John. So it's not me or some other unauthorized person saying it. It's actually God speaking to God's people. So his spirit takes his word and ministers to us and says, whoa, I need to take this on board and put my life right in this one. So the light that lives in the believer is, in fact, Jesus Christ living through you and me. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus calls himself the light of the world. So that comes as no surprise to us. Now, if this light lives in you, this light has to shine through you. And John claims an obvious way for this to happen is the expression of love that you genuinely have for your brother or sister in Christ. 
You've got your call to love them and to love them unconditionally, called to love them before the Lord in a way that God loves them and honor them in that way. And John says that whenever we as believers love one another as Christ loves us, we're never going to be guilty of causing one another to stumble in our walk with Christ. And that's so important. We don't want to cause each other to stumble. And speaking of that, Paul writes of it in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 13. He says, he goes to an extremity here. If food causes my brother or sister to fall to sin, I will never again eat meat so that I won't cause them to fall to sin. That's how serious Paul takes this lifestyle uh, of caring and loving and expressing the love that we should have for one another. You see, this love that we have for one another in Christ will always be the means of our expressing the new life that has begun in us because of our having been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, for this practice to be lived by well, it means that in the church, we're called to prefer one another. We're called to live in humility with each other. And, and we're called to never cause or put anything in place by which our brother or sister would stumble in sin in their walk with Jesus and they're following him. So John expresses this clearly in his gospel, in um, John's gospel 13, 34 to 35. Here's what he says, a well-known words, a new commandment. I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you're my disciples. If you have love one for another, the world looking in should know that we're disciples of Jesus Christ, that we're real, we're genuine, we're true Christians because of this love that we have for one another. Now in verse 11 of our text, John clarifies that someone who hates his brother, someone who hates their sister, is in the darkness and, and he walks if you want he, he walks a lifestyle that belongs to the world which is that of darkness and he might say he belongs to christ he might even believe and think that he belongs to christ but if such a one the apostle paul writes in first corinthians 13 1 and 2 even if i speak uh, human or angelic tongues if i speak in those tongues but do not have love i'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can even move mountains, but do not do not have love, Paul says, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. That's how important the emphasis of this love is. So John declares that this person has no idea as to where he's going because his eyes have been blinded spiritually. Notice how seriously John writes about this with his comments in 1 John chapter 3. Verse 15, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. That's pretty strong language. And you know, you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. You know that. You're aware of that believer, he's saying to them. And with those words, it appears that such a person will not enter the kingdom of God. And John has been emphasizing this throughout his letter. Uh, previously, he wrote uh, these words in, in um, chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. We're pretty clear in that. If we say we have fellowship with him, which we are saying as believers, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. That's how seriously John writes about this stuff. So it remains impossible. I want to suggest it remains impossible for the unsaved to meet the criteria set by Christ as he birthed new life into the soul of all who responded to his great call to salvation, to ever be capable of expressing the love that he commands for all of those who know and know him and love him to be living out as their Lord. Only the believer can express such a love. 
So John invites you and I to, to check our standing with God. Am I, am I expressing his love? Because that's how other believers are going to know I'm a believer. That's how the world is going to know who I belong to. You're living obediently to his new command to love one another gives evidence that you're in the light as he is in the light and that you belong to his kingdom because you once your, your once dark and blinded eyes have been graciously opened by God. And today you glorify your father in heaven by the good works that you do for his glory by the expressing of his love to his world through you. In Christ, this means that you will love evangelism. You'll love showing mercy. You'll love prayer. You'll love giving. You'll love living a life of humility. You'll love learning the things of God. You'll love having the opportunity to live obediently. You'll love speaking honorably. You'll love worshiping your great God in harmony with your brothers and sisters. And with all that, you put your head on your pillow every night and you sleep easy and you sleep peacefully, knowing that you're eternally secure in him because his love rests and resides in you. And he lives a life of love through you. Be blessed as you continue to live for him and show the world around you the love that Jesus has uh, for you and for them and um, how you love others. Be encouraged and uh, have a great week attempting to live these truths. Challenging, but well worthwhile. Thanks for listening. Catch you soon.